0: MHAI Talks program from Mental Health America, Illinois, where we talk all things mental health related like ending stigma, treatment education, hope, and change. Today's guest, Dr. David Carbonell, is a Chicago-based clinical psychologist who specializes in the treatment of anxiety disorders. He is the coach at anxietycoach.com, which is a self-help website for people troubled by fears and phobias. Dr. Carbonell is also the author of several books. Some of the titles include The Worry Trick, Fear of Flying Workbook, and Outsmart Your Anxious Brain. When he stopped writing books and seeing patients, he's also running the Therapy Players, which is a group that he founded. The Therapy Players is an improvisational comedy troupe, a professional psychotherapist who perform frequently in clubs, theaters, and mental health conferences throughout the Chicago area. I am super happy to introduce you and to be having this conversation with you today. Welcome,
1: Dr. David Carbonell. Well, thanks, Mariah. I'm so glad to be (laughs) here.
0: We are so glad to have this conversation with you. And I've introduced you a little to the listeners, uh, but, and you've practiced for more than 30 years here in the Chicago area, but can you tell listeners a little more about your professional and educational background? Sure.
1: You know, I, I actually came to psychology as a, a second career. First began uh, working as an adult in the field of public administration. I did a master's degree in public administration, and I w- was working for a number of uh, Illinois state agencies, uh, the Governor's Bureau of the Budget, the Capital Development Board. And o- over time, I came to realize, I, I think I've made a mistake. I, I'm not in the right career for me. Things were going well enough conventionally, but the the... the the further I progressed, the less I enjoyed the work, and and so sometime probably right about 1980, I I started career search, trying to figure out well what what's Plan B for me. And uh, at, at the time, a very popular book uh, for career changers was uh, What Color Is Your Parachute, and, and that's still out today, I believe. Mm-hmm. I did all everything they suggested. I took interest inventory tests. I I did. Uh, uh interviewing of people in other fields uh all, all this in an effort to f- figure out oh gee wh- what do i want to do I'm, I'm not enjoying being in government work all, all the results kept p- pointing to the same thing i, I was either going to become a solicitor, or a comedian and um, but i think and today i i can say with some satisfaction well good i managed to do both to some degree. at that point i realized well a full-time comedian that really amounts to driving a cab uh, so I I'll, I'll go for this to career in psychology, but I want to add in as much uh, comedy and humor as I can, and and that's that that's sort of been the the way my uh, my my practice and my work is all been flavored. Uh, clinically, my my work is specialized in in anxiety disorders. I, I see people mm-hmm. with all manners of fears and phobias and and, and worry. Uh, and, and panic that that's that's been the the specialty now my practice it's where I'm at today I, I I do some comedy on the side I, I find as many ways as I can to deploy humor in in my clinical work and, and I have this this real nice specialty of the work
0: and i I, I want to come come back to that um how you deploy that comedy in your practice uh, that you just mentioned but I just wanted to ask a little further about the work that you do. You've authored several books on anxiety and, the, and brain health. And since you've been in this field for over 30 years, I'm just curious from, from the professional side, like how have you seen the conversation around those conditions shift? Um, I work with kids a lot and I can tell the the conversations they have about their brain health and anxiety is very honest and very rare. And that is not the way, that was not my school experience at all When 30 years ago when I was in their place. So coming from the professional side, how, have, how do you explain how this conversation has shifted around brain health and around anxiety and, and things like that, topics like that?
1: Well, I, I think that the conversation has shifted uh, on one hand radically in the direction of of uh, more information publicly available and discussed um, much more of a, an open and honest attitude towards the fact that people can ex- you know, people, uh, good, competent, intelligent, likable, worthwhile people can also be troubled sometimes severely. So by un- unreasonable fears and, ph- and phobias and concerns. Uh, 30 years ago, it, it was, it was almost like the dark ages. This was a source of shame, there was right. an awful lot of secrecy. Uh, people did not want to own up to this. People did not, uh, you know, think it was acceptable to even disclose that, that they had some kind of, uh, anxiety issue and that that's changed enormously. You know, today it, it's, it's in movies, it's in television, it, it, it's in book clubs. It's just radically different from the kind of, uh, way people suffered in shame and in silence, uh, circa 1980 or so. So that, that, that's been one, one big, big difference. Uh, the, the other difference, you know, kind of a, from another point, uh, is when I first began working in this field, the emphasis was on help people find ways to stem, hold back, uh, control the anxiety. And today, from a clinical perspective, mm-hmm. it, it's evolved much more to the point where we we recognize that the the best way to work with these kinds of conditions is to work with the anxiety rather than against it. and And that's been a, a big turn over the last thirty years as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Having some experience with improv and performance, the actual performance, I can say there's there's some congruence there with with that with that style of work, too. About working with a condition, you. When I was researching you, I came across the name of a of a group, the Freudian Slippers. Can you tell us a little bit more about who they were,
1: what what you did with with that group? Yes. Yeah. Well, I I I proudly claim to have formed two psychotherapist uh, improv troops, and the, the first one was the Freudian Slippers, a certain 1982 or so, and. I, I did my my uh, Ph.D. work in psychology at DePaul here in Chicago, and the the Freudian Slippers was a, a group of DePaul graduate students that I recruited to, to form an improv troupe. And at that time, the Improv Olympic, well, it was still called the Improv Olympic. It, it's you know they they to stopped using that name because the U.S. Olympic Committee sued them, uh, but it was still called the Improv Olympic then, and we assembled ourselves as a group and we went there we met with sharna halpern and we joined their their league of, of teams that were were competing uh, it was it was at a, a little club called cross currents at the time but long 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 story short we were a group of psychology graduate students doing improv 82 83 84 that was the freudian school. so there was a little club uh, on lincoln avenue club it was a bar with the tiniest of stages. We, we used to perform there uh, once a week during the summers. Uh, Irish, Irish Eyes was
0: there. So is that how the idea, the marriage of improv and therapy came together in your mind? Just because you found this like-minded group and you could, you could uh, explore your studies and improv together. Is that where it all came together for you?
1: Um, well, that, that was the first chance I had to apply it systematically. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. now when, you know, the performances of the therapy players and for, of the Freudian slippers, uh, and for the most part, the therapy players on the one hand, you know, when we go out and perform, well, you know, we have the same, the same general intention as, as any improv group. We want to come and put on a nice show and have the audience laugh and enjoy it. Um, mm-hmm. the, the difference is that, our, a, a lot of our scenes and a lot of our character work will, will be uh, flavored by the fact that we're psychotherapists and the audience brings <laughs> expectations. They, they want to come and see. well, let's go see these psychotherapists who are doing improv. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's always flavored that way. But certainly when we go out to a, a, a club or, or a theater, uh, the first thing we want to do is to put on a fun show. Like mental health conferences, then we have a chance to, to, to perform before a group of, of like-minded professionals. And, and there we get to experiment a little more with the, with the combination of therapy and
0: NUR. What is that professional response to those performances? Have they ever seen anything like that done by, by other mental health um, colleagues?
1: Uh, they have not have to my knowledge uh, these two groups therapy players and and the freudian slippers before them are, are the only ongoing uh improvisational troops you know that that perform certainly with any regularity uh composed of those mental health professionals mm-hmm. the, the therapy players we're, we're in our 10th year now mm-hmm. uh which by improv troop standards it might as well be a century that that's exceptionally long so no for the most part they have not in this uh When when we go and perform it at a conference, uh, it's quite a novelty act. Mm -hmm. People, you know, look forward to it because I think they sort of think of it as, well, let's, we might as well go watch the elephants dance. How is this going to work? So they they have not.
0: Exactly. They have uh, such a curiosity. And for you, the performers, what is that? What is that experience like? Because I, I know that when you're performing with any group, it takes a level of trust and vulnerability, and so how I know that I'm sure that you all are very busy with your your individual practices.
1: How did you go about forming uh, a healthy troop? Well, the the way I, I formed the troop at all before we even got healthy, I had I had a fine therapist with with uh, improv background. now when we did the. The freudian slippers nobody had any improv background mm-hmm. I, I found a group of people who were willing to do it and we went and, and got the, uh, the the very beginning training that was available then jump forward uh five years or so and well you can't walk down the street without running it to somebody that's taking an improv class so mm-hmm. it's much easier to find therapists with improv background uh than it had been back in the 80s and and all I had to do it was post on a few professional listservs for for psychotherapists. I'm looking for uh, I'm looking for professionals who also have some improv training or experience, and we're going to form a troop. And if you're interested in that, please write back to me. And w- without much trouble, we we formed a troop of of eight people, uh, you know, within a matter of weeks. So the, the the second troop was a lot easier to get going mm-hmm. because. Uh, improv, it becomes so big in Chicago in the intervening years.
0: Right. It's the perfect city for all of this to come together. And how do you, uh, in general, use comedy, improv, laughter in the work that you do with patients who
1: want to conquer their various phobias? Well, it, it, it's a, wonder, a wonderful marriage of, of the specialty and the use of humor um, because... Uh, uh, particularly for people who are experiencing what we call anxiety disorders, humor is a powerful, powerful tool. It, it's it's well-suited to, to the uh, the problems we're facing. The, the, the classical Freudian view of humor uh, was that humor is the, basically the result of finding out, uh, and usually suddenly and, and with some surprise, that this terrible concern I had was misconceived, that, what I thought was trouble isn't trouble at all, and, and the resulting mm-hmm. experience is, is humor. Um, and that's what we do with anxiety disorders. People mm-hmm. uh, you know, come in with, with terrible fears and phobias that for the most part aren't really going to materialize for them. They don't know mm-hmm. or, or they're not able to trust that yet. And, and humor is often a way to help them bridge that gap uh, to come to recognize, Oh, I this terrible thing that I thought was going to happen to me. It turns out that that's a facade. Isn't that funny? That that's mm-hmm. the, the basis of how we use humor with the anxiety disorders. Uh, the, the through, the through line of my practice. And, and I hope this doesn't sound facetious. It goes right to the, the heart of what I'm doing. My elevator speech for introducing what I, I do clinically, uh, is this, uh, I'm Dave Carbonell, I'm a psychologist. I work with people who are afraid of things that tend not to happen. Uh, and coming to to grips with that, coming to recognize, oh, how how mistaken was my anticipatory fear here that's that's the spot where humor can help bridge the gap.
0: And when you work individually with uh, your clients, do you have to prepare them for your style of work or and do they do they generally, uh, step forward into it willingly, or do they take a little additional coaxing to try it your way, to try as practice?
1: Well, you know, I, I guess uh, much earlier uh, that was an issue. I, I had to kind of uh, warm them up to my style because it it, it it wasn't a style, you know, the the humor probably wasn't a style that they were they were encountering encountering anywhere else at the time. These days. Mm-hmm people tend to arrive knowing what they're going to get. Uh, they've, they've read a book of mine, they've, they've been to the website, or, or they, they saw one of my, uh, one of my public workshops. Um, so at, at this point, I don't think anybody is surprised when they come in and, and find out how I work. Uh, so I can get right to it now, whereas in, in the early days, I, I had to make sure that uh, I was putting it across in a way that was acceptable to people. You know, I, I remember uh, a long time ago a woman came in to see me and, and she was having uh, terrible trouble with, with, with panic attacks and, and what we call health anxiety now. You know, told, described her whole story to me and then told me all, all the, the trouble she's had with these fears uh, of, of, of death and uh, uh, losing control of herself. And she summed it all up by saying, you know, so you, you see all, all my life, all my life, doctor, I've, I've been afraid of dying young. Uh, and this this was a woman in her 30s. Mm-hmm. And I remember kind of taking a deep breath and, well, I'm going to go for it. And I said to her, well, you know, I I think you're too late, really. The best you can shoot for is dying middle-aged. Uh there's <laughs> this moment of shock for a moment, and, and then she let out with such a big belly laugh. And that's it. That's it, right there. Because what I was telling her clearly, you know, in in some fashion, well, that was true. She she couldn't believe that I actually said that to her, and 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 the laughter was on realizing, oh my God, yeah, I guess I could see what he's talking about. Yeah. So that uh, how how the humor works. There's this surprise that isn't really such a big surprise if they think about. It. Is that what?
0: Um... Like by definition, also what laughter therapy is? Is, is that, I, I'm sure it would be related, but is that essentially what it is?
1: You know, I, I'm, I'm not actually sure. Some forms of laughter therapy, uh, this comes more out of India, uh, where people mm-hmm. deliberately laugh. They, they don't use jokes, they don't use anything funny. They practice the behavior of laughter. And the idea is that. Uh, if you go ahead and have a big belly laugh, not in response to a joke, not in response to any funny material, uh, you will begin to experience first physically and then perhaps cognitively uh, some of the same experience of hearing a really funny joke, but they they do it without the jokes. so that that that's quite different. Mm-hmm. you know if if that's the kind of laughter therapy we're talking about, then that, that's very different when we're from what we're doing because we're using content. To set up the immersed response mm-hmm.
0: for the you said that you're, the the clients who come to see you at this point in your career they pretty much know what they're walking into. Is it pretty much a mix of people that you see, like very young clients, uh, older clients? Is it a mix, or is there does there tend to be a certain
1: trend for a certain? It's a, it's a good mix of ages. I mm, I I tend not to work much younger than. Uh, the the 20. But within that range, I, I see people in their twenties, you know, up mm-hmm. until their sixties, certainly sometimes older than that. Mm-hmm. When I when I first started doing mm-hmm. this kind of work in, in the mid the mid eighties was a time when a lot of when cognitive behavioral therapy first came to the fore. And and cognitive behavioral therapy was, was very specifically applied uh, to fears and phobias in, in ways that no treatment before had ever been available. And if you had panic disorder in the late 70s or uh, fear of driving or fear of flying, generalized anxiety disorder, chronic worry, God help you if you had that at the time. There really wasn't any kind of useful treatment available. You you were liable to get Mm -hmm. poorly treated and mistreated and and maybe put in the hospital. Who knows what? There just wasn't a, a treatment form that worked very well. And the arrival of cognitive behavioral therapy changed all that. My, my practice at the beginning tended to be heavily slanted towards older clients. It was almost as if I, I had the people mm-hmm. who had been waiting patiently in, in line for years waiting for something to arrive mm-hmm. uh, and the, the practice mm-hmm. tended to stay that way for a while um, uh, and then over time you know, the, the methods became more widely used and, and more and more practitioners became available to do this and now today I have you know, much more of a mix of ages. But in the beginning it it was all uh, literally people that had been struggling for 20, 30, 40 years and not finding anything helpful. It was like there was there was a backlog of, of people waiting for something.
0: How what are the benefits of your style of practice? Like what would when you're when you're coming down that elevator and you eat from that elevator speech, like if you had to tell them uh, bullet points. Benefits, And I'm sure all clients are different, but what would you say are the leading benefits
1: of this um, practice? Uh, Well, chief among the benefits is we're going to work directly uh, with the the present-day issue. Um, This is not the kind of treatment uh, that that spends any time really uh, looking at at the history of of the problem. Uh, This isn't the kind of treatment that... uh, looks to help people somehow recapitulate the things that were difficult for them in the past that may have led to this and undo it by by changing something about that. Um, so somebody who uh, is afraid, say, of dogs or, or highways or airplanes, uh, well, very directly, we're going to be looking to help them spend time with dogs or airplanes or, or highways. Uh, we're going to work much more with uh, the questions of what am I experiencing and how can I change that? Those are the key questions. We're not going to work with the why questions so much. Uh, the the why I had this really doesn't contribute all that mm-hmm. much to the the the, the, the recovery process. Um, so it it it's direct, uh, it's applied, and and it it works relatively quickly
0: so you know what i i definitely see now um the the connection i know that action uh, or acting um any type of performance is is actionable it's something that you do and you do it now in the moment and so focusing on like not focusing on what why in the happened in the past what caused you to get to this point but facing what your the client is experiencing now and moving forward that that makes so much sense to me that that's just really exciting uh when when we think about the work that you and the other uh your colleagues do on stage what is it what is a typical performance like when someone comes to a therapy players show what what do they experience
1: well we we still principally do what what's called uh, short um, short form improv. Uh, so uh, a, t- a typical show might run eighty or ninety minutes. Um, we'll probably have two sets uh, you know with with a, a break for intermission, and we're gonna do in each set maybe uh, uh, between five and eight uh, short form pieces. That in itself doesn't make it radically different from uh, any other troupe that's putting on short form pieces, um, but many of ours aren't so much traditional forms; they're based on traditional forms that we've uh, we, we've taken some therapy piece and, and imbued it with the spirit of the traditional form. So, um, mm-hmm. we we do a piece called Doctor Generic and which is a scene with a therapist and a patient and uh we'll we'll take a presenting problem ask for a, you know an unusual uh, uh odd ridiculous kind of problem from the audience and we'll also ask them to give us a bunch of therapy styles uh real styles people will you know give us actual styles cognitive behavioral therapy uh, electroshock uh, medication uh, uh, you, you name it. And they'll also give us a, a bunch of made-up therapies, bubblegum therapy, hip-hop therapy. Uh, and then we have a mm-hmm. caller, and the, the scene will start, the, the 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 therapist and then the client will start the scene. Periodically, the caller will shout out another style, and, and then th- the therapist and the client have to switch into that style of therapy. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a called scene. There are lots of f- forms of called scenes. Uh, and and we've, we've taken it and adapted it to, to a, a therapy kind of setting. Uh, there, there's another traditional scene, uh, vacation photos. And the, and the setup is uh, two people are looking at a series of vacation photo. One person is telling the other, uh, you know, what the photos are just are consisting of depicting. And then the photos are being modeled on stage by four or five other actors who, assume, who are assuming postures. And then the, the, the funny part comes from mm-hmm. how, how they identify the postures and, and turn that into description of photos. We, we've taken that and, and made it uh, a scene about the Rorschach inkblots. And then the players are uh, mm-hmm. portraying various shapes of inkblots. And then the, the therapist and the client have to work that into the dialogue. So we, we, we're taking traditional forms and giving them a, a psychotherapy flavor.
0: <laughs> um, what, what do you, I'm sure you've heard a lot of different comments over the years, but what do audience members, if they, in, if they have the chance to interact with you after the show, what do you hear them say? What are their reactions?
1: Um, you know, actually one, one early reaction we got, and, and this was influential for us. We, we were playing a lot of traditional pieces and, uh, we, we got some reactions that said, well, I, I was hoping you would do more therapy stuff. Uh, and at that point, you know, if we were new uh, and and we weren't quite sure, you know, where, where are the boundaries here? How far can we take this? We tended to do uh, a couple of therapy-flavored scenes and then a bunch of more traditional scenes. And, and that kind of feedback helped us realize, well, geez, you know, people are coming to see the therapy players. They ought to see a lot of scenes with therapy in them. Uh, so that, that was feedback that was real <laughs> yeah. helpful to us. Um, what, what else do people say? Uh, y- you know, it, it, it's very touching. People often come up and, and and say something to the effect of, you know, thank you so much This this really changed my day. This really, ch- I, I was having a lousy day and now I, I'm feeling so much happier. Thank you for that. Very gratifying kind of feedback we get. Um, other times people want to talk with us more about the the specifics of what we're putting on, but you know the the, the feedback that yeah okay yeah that that was a lie I, I, I feel different leaving than I did coming out coming in um that, that we often hear mm-hmm. you know and that that's rail
0: and do you of, do you ever hear people say seeing your show has made me less afraid of of getting the Help that I need maybe for my own phobias, or it's made me more willing to confront my mental health It's just uh, sort of tearing down the walls of stigma, yeah
1: you know, I'm not sure that I hear that said directly i I, I tend to think that the people who come to see us are already uh, less less concerned and preoccupied with stigma, so i'm I'm mm-hmm. not sure that anybody has said that to me. Uh, people are will will sometimes you know, remo- you know give us feedback, have something to say along the lines of, uh, "Wow, I guess you guys are just regular people." Uh, that that it makes a diff- you know it, it's affected their viewpoint of what therapy might might be when they can see the therapist mm-hmm. getting on stage and being silly and 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 having fun. That 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 tends to you know uh, change some of their view of maybe how. Uh, intimidating it would be to go into therapy. So it, it, it's more about that, I think.
0: And then what about the the mental health professionals? You mentioned t- the 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 people who come in to see your performances at conferences, shooting you need, like the pink elephant in the room, I guess. But uh what do you do people come up to you and say, hey, I want to be I want to do this. I want to either either join your group or I want to introduce some some of some of the the improv into my own practice.
1: We frequently hear from people that uh, you know are in the field and either have some improv background or would like to go and, and take some improv classes, and and maybe they have a general interest in knowing. Well, do you ever add people to the troupe? How could I get into this, and so on? We we get that with some regularity. Mm-hmm. That, that's probably the most common thing we we hear in in. Uh, at the conferences, um, I, I think at the conferences, then you know people will also remark on, "Gee, this is a nice stigma buster thing you're you're doing here."
0: And for those who are interested, but they're still a little bit reticent about, in you know, adopting these practices for themselves, what do you have anything to say to them that can that can address some of their worries or questions? About starting the process of introducing just some of the practices into their own um, their own current method and style.
1: Well, you know, when when we go and, and perform, uh, put on a show for a mental health conference, uh, we're going in there with the, the same intent as any other group mm-hmm. of performers that that that's going to be uh, a theatrical performance, and we 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 want to go in and make that crowd laugh. Uh, We're probably, you know, there there isn't so much there where we're going to be encouraging or educating people about how they can do this on their own. On the other hand, when I do more traditional presentations at mental health conferences about uh, incorporating humor into the treatment of of anxiety disorders, uh, those talks are are much more about uh, how and when uh, can you use humor in treatment. So I think that you know there's that divide. When we do the therapy players, we're getting up and being funny. And when we when it's time to talk about how can you use mm-hmm. humor and treatment, uh, that tends to be something that that I and, and some of the other players do more individually as as a uh, an educational presentation at a conference. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's say that you know if you are in a position to implement change or. Uh, throughout our Illinois communities, uh, especially our schools, about the way we address mental health mental health needs. Um, it's certainly laughter and humor certainly isn't utilized more widely. but what what changes would you implement, or would you suggest to your your colleagues um, and to other institutions in our communities for for improving mental mental health?
1: You know, probably the the thing I hear most often from clients that, you know, that that points in this direction, is is, they'll often uh, express a wish, gosh, I wish somebody, you know, like in school, had had, had taught me some of this stuff earlier. Couldn't there have been a place in school where I could have learned that, well, sometimes you get anxious and it might lead you to think that you're weird or it might lead you to avoid or it might cause you to hold your breath and, yeah, that's a problem, but not a big deal. And here are some things you can do about it. Uh, Couldn't there be a a place in school uh, in in some setting or another uh, to help normalize these kinds of issues? Um, Because people seem to have gone through many years of school and other institutions without ever having a chance to find out, you know, sometimes you can get really afraid and, and there's nothing dangerous. And that doesn't mean you're 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 some kind of nut. That there's anything wrong with you. This is this is part parcel of being a human, and here's here's a way to handle that. I, I, I think that they they didn't they didn't get to learn that until they were in their forties and coming in for individual therapy, and it, it could have been done so much earlier.
0: And, and what a what a way to appeal to youth, especially with you know the anxiety caused you know by social media. Something that I didn't experience when I was in high school, but i can I can imagine the level of worry um that our that our young people are facing if they could if they could be taught those things that you just said, and especially if it has a a, a humor, a, a, a funny humor, that might go a long way
1: kinds of concerns. They're understandable. they're uh, they're they're not at all unusual, although everybody that even almost everybody that has same panic disorder. They spent a number of years thinking they were the only one, uh, the only one, because there, there was so much exactly. shame and secrecy about it. You know, introduce those ideas earlier. Uh, <clears throat> you wouldn't have people suffering, you know, 5, 10, 15 years in, in shame and in mm-hmm. silence, because that, that makes their, their recovery task so much more mm-hmm. complex. <laughs> meet, meet with somebody <clears throat> who just started having this trouble. Boy, does it go quickly uh the real work is when they've had Mm -hmm.
0: so no no need to wait until um an individual is you know 90 (laughs) years old you know when you can kind of laugh at life at 18 (laughs) there are there are moments it's okay to laugh at you know your experiences and excuse me i know that you're not alone dr Carvanel. i i have loved this conversation it's it's very uplifting and if you're listening and want to learn more um, about some of the troop work that Dr. Carbonell does you can visit therapyplayers.com and see some of the upcoming performances they have they have one coming up in April one coming up in June and a, a May date will soon be added so go there and see if they are coming to a theater near you, or one that you can visit, and also you can read more about the actual work around anxiety and phobias that uh, Dr. Carbonell does at anxietycoach.com, um, and you can see uh, some of, of his information there, as well as some of his other book titles that he's, he's written several books. I just named a few at the top of the show. but. Um, Dr. Carbonell, I really want to thank you, and I am going to catch one of your shows over in the spring, and uh, I, I look forward to it. Um, and I thank you for for introducing these tools to, to so many audiences that you've you performed for over the years and will continue to perform for in future years. Again, thank you, Dr. Carbonell. You can find more information at mhai.org. To find out about the work that Mental Health America Illinois is doing.